Welcome to Buzzword Bingo, a podcast that explores enterprise tech topics through in-depth interviews with industry experts. Today, we'll be exploring the fundamentals of API security. Platforms and applications are becoming more and more connected, which makes APIs a critical component of many organizations. Join us to find out more about API security best practices, top tools, and upcoming trends. Hello, and welcome to Buzzword Bingo. I'm Marcus Faust, and today we're going to cover all things API security, basically what it is, best practices, and upcoming trends. So joining us today is Ken Lane, author of the popular blog API Evangelist. Thanks so much for being here, Ken. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So we're very excited to have someone with your level of expertise on the show. But before we dive into API security, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey to the API Evangelist? Sure. So I'm a 30 years database guy. I've been working with databases since 1987. So that was COBOL databases, you know, fast forward that to the web. And I'm doing a lot of database driven web applications, fast forward that to the cloud, you know, there's a lot more distributed nature, lots of APIs and web services involved. And around 2010, I just started noticing what was happening after the kind of mobile evolution. And I started studying the whole, not not just the technology of how you do APIs, but also the business and the politics. And almost eight years later, here I am still doing it. Great. And your blog covers a broad range of topics around APIs, uh, but you have written a lot, including a 50-page guide uh, specifically on security. Uh, For listeners who aren't familiar with this topic, could you provide a basic intro on API security and why it's so complicated? So yeah, so one of the things I do as API evangelist is I take different areas and security being this particular area and focus on what's going on right now, who are the key players when it comes to like providing security services and security tools and what are the services they offer. And then I reach out to the other side, you know, API providers who are trying to understand what they should be doing when it comes to API security. And then I combine all that into a landscape guide. And one of the challenges with API security is For the last decade, people have been doing what's called API management, you know, on top of their API. So you have an API, you go to uh, use one of the API management providers out there. Some of the popular ones are like Apogee and and Mashery and 3Scale. Those started, you know, almost a decade ago, it's been around. But more recently, those providers have been baked into the cloud. So you have, you know, Amazon, Azure, Google all have their own API management layers. And what these tools do is they stand in front of your API. So if you have an API that's providing data or content or maybe some algorithm, you have API management in front of it. And any consumer who wants to use it will come and and that API management layer requires you to sign up and register as a developer. And you get a key or token that you pass along with each API call you make to the API. And so a lot of companies that are offering up APIs feel like, that's security. And sure it is to a certain degree, you're you're securing your APIs and require that people sign up for a key. But a lot of companies have stopped there. You know, they haven't really thought much more about API security beyond that. And and as as you can imagine, there's quite a few other things you should be doing. You should be actually scanning your API interfaces, much like you would your websites, looking for holes, looking for vulnerabilities. You should be evaluating the dependencies your APIs have, any libraries or other third-party code that you use. There's just a whole list of things that you should be doing in addition to managing your APIs and requiring keys. 
and just a lot of companies that kind of just got a little complacent thinking they they had the job done and really we should be doing a lot more. I see. And so you feel that this API management piece is really a big reason why API security is lagging behind, right? So that makes sense. So one buzzword we hear all the time is authentication. Uh, could you explain what authentication is and elaborate on why it's so important to an application system? Yeah. So as I said, you know, API management requires every developer sign up for a key and then authenticate against that API. And that authentication can come in many forms. And so the most basic is called basic auth. And it's a web standard. You may have seen it when you go to some websites, you'll get this pop up that asks you for a username and password. That same mechanism can be used for APIs. And there's a way that you can pass that in with each API call, authenticating who you are and that you have access to this API. And other APIs use a more kind of another approach called API keys, where basic off uses what's called the headers. You have to pass in a couple of headers, which can be a little complicated for some developers. But API keys sometimes just come as part of the URL. And so it'll just, you, know, you pass in a variable called API key and whatever you're, you're, the key that you were given. And then you, you're given access, you're authenticated. There's several other tiers, but really the most common third tier is what's known as OAuth. And OAuth, you're, you're probably familiar with, um, well, not everyone's familiar with, but everyone uses it almost every day. So Facebook, Twitter, Google, all the major platforms use what's called OAuth. And it's a way for those platforms to give access to your information and data by other third-party developers. So if someone's building a mobile app or a widget or allowing you to log into their web app or or mobile app using your Google or your Twitter, your Facebook account, you're using what's called OAuth. And that's a way of authenticating third parties. And so that's one of the more common ways that people are are used to using authentication. And, And so all three of these are really important to understanding who has access to your APIs. And when it comes to OAuth, it's also really important to understanding not who's just accessing the API, but what user's data they're accessing. So you're accessing the Facebook API, but OAuth will actually tell you which data you have access to on Facebook. You won't have immediate access to every Facebook user. You only have access to Facebook users that you've been given authentication to. So authentication is really important to securing who and knowing who has access to API resources. The problem is that identifying who has access is just the start of security. And as I said before, there's a lot more that we could be doing, but it is a very, very important first step. So it sounds like OAuth, there's a lot of options there uh, and it's it's pretty secure. But uh, what would you say if I wanted to use basic auth versus API keys versus OAuth, uh, what would you say the pros and cons would be uh, between each, each of those well, basic auth is good because it's a standard. It's based, baked into the, brow, the the HTTP standard. But sometimes it's a little bit more complicated. Depending on how secure you want your data, you may want to go with keys. Because like I said, keys are just about really identifying who has access. And sometimes the stuff you're accessing via the APIs really doesn't need to be that secured. And you just need to identify who has access so you know who's using it and who and whether they should be or not. And so it's kind of low-level security. You know, so basic auth is pretty common for people who understand headers and understand how to use stuff. 
API keys or if your the bar is a little lower and and your user just may may need to pass you know know how to pass something in through the URL or the query string. Now OAuth is really when you need to get a little bit more fine grained and a little bit more secure about making sure not just who has access to your API, but that they have access to a particular user's information. And you can even get more fine grained to that and say you have access to this user's info, but only a, a specific aspect of it. And you'll see this when you try to log in with a, like your Facebook account to other third-party sites. You'll see this pop-up come up after well, when you're trying to do it that says, this application wants to have access to your email and your info, but not your wall or not, or they just want access to your photos. And that's OAuth fine-grained controls being put into play there. So that's the best example of it. But API keys and basic auth are, are, are definitely much for more simpler implementations. OAuth is when you want to really get uh, pretty detailed about who, your security. So on a similar note, access management is important for security, especially when it comes to sensitive data. Uh, but how do data segregation and storage relate to public and private APIs? Yeah, so you know when you're serving up data and you're making it available through APIs, you know, APIs are really just using the web. So you're using URLs and HTTP to provide access to, to data and resources. So having a clear kind of segregation between, you know, what is sensitive data, what is not sensitive data, and then potentially, as I said, with the keys, having, you know, don't just give access to all data with one key. You know, you really want to start thinking about using something like OAuth to get put in policies in place. So you can only access these users' data or this specific user, this group of users. And then even within that, you only have access to, like I said, with Facebook, you have just access to their images or just to their videos. And this really can be used beyond Facebook and Twitter. This can be used at the corporate level and having policies in place and storing data in a kind of organized way, you know, not just having one folder or one bucket where you put everything and think about, you know, who, who should have access. Is this for internal use? Is it for our internal groups and maybe having, you know, even finer grain segregation within internal groups and then having a whole different area for storage for partners and then an entirely different for if they're like any public or guest level access so that, if a key gets lost or, you know, someone's token gets gets shared, on, you know, in a way that it shouldn't be, that when that is compromised, that someone just doesn't have access to everything and that they only have access to one user or one specific group. And so if you're really thinking about the segregation of your storage in related to, you know, whether it's public, private, really don't stop there. I mean, those are pretty simplistic ways of thinking it. You know, you should be segregating by groups, by regions, by lines of business. You can really start getting pretty detailed on how you store that data, but then how you provide API access. You can reflect that segregation and how you issue keys and authenticate. It sounds like OAuth can really give you that granular security there. Almost if, you know, if there's a token out there that's providing compromised data, you can kind of hit that red button on the token and, and expire it immediately. Definitely. So moving on, in recent years, uh, many companies have been attacked uh, via insecure APIs, some examples being Telegram and uh, Instagram. Uh, but in your research, have you noticed any patterns or common themes among these recent attacks? 
Yeah. So one of the most common ways is just not managing your dependencies of your code. So how you're using a third-party library and there was some vulnerabilities in that and a patch may have been issued. And as a, as a development group or, or security team, you didn't really respond to that. The second I would say is lack of encryption. So when someone is using an API, the API doesn't require you use HTTPS. And so when keys are passed, making those API calls, even though you're forced to authenticate, people are able to sniff those keys out and then get access to that. And when that's done wholesale at large scale via mobile app, so say someone you know gets access to quite a few different mobile apps, they can get access to quite a few different keys and they can get access to the back end. I would say beyond that, you know, really just not going fine grain with that level of API access and what people are, how you're segregating. So if one key gets compromised, then you have access to everything. And there, that segregation didn't exist. So, and it can be even more of a, a problem when it's like someone's internal, you know, login or, or credentials. And so you have a higher level of trust and, you know, maybe that person lost their cell phone and someone was able to get on it and start using internal applications and basically, you know, sniff things out. So just not really encrypting segregating out how you store and segregating how you authenticate and allow different people to, to access different pools of information. I see. I see. And it, you know, it sounds like, you know, multi-factor authentication has been kind of a getting a little more mainstream out there, you know, in some of the mobile apps and, and so on. Does that help out here at all or play a factor? Oh yeah. It's definitely, you know, one additional layer that if there's any change regarding your login and your, your account, you know, there's an added uh, level of approval that needs to happen before that change can, can go through. So if someone wants to change a password, I mean, basically tokens are just, you know, passwords. And, and a lot of times API keys and tokens come in pairs, just like username and password. And so, you know, having a, a two-factor or multi-factor authentication flow that if anything changes with that, then you have to check through a second, through multiple channels to make sure that that's, that change is, is allowed. It's a great way of providing a second line of defense. So a big part of API security is ensuring that it remains secure even as your environment or systems change. Can you talk a little bit about testing and validation best practices? Yeah, so, you know, one important part of having your APIs is having it defined well. There's there's different tools out there or definition standards. One of them is called OpenAPI, but this allows you to describe the surface area of your API and, you know, the paths that you make available, what are the, all the different parameters and headers. And there's a, a wealth of tooling that has emerged out there for testing, automatically testing those interfaces on a regular basis. So you'll log into these tools and you'll upload your open API definition, which was formerly known as Swagger, but now it's called open API. Or you don't have to use open API. You can just, you know, manually enter in, you know, here's our API domain and here's what you should be scanning. But those monitor and testing tools will allow you to then monitor that on a regular basis and say, 
you know, is it up? Is it available? Is, is something wrong with it? And then you can start getting really fine grained by actually testing it for specific responses, or you can start injecting in strange data and weird, you know, things that a malicious hacker might, might be doing and to see if it gives any weird responses or throws any errors. I mean, this is what a hacker is going to be doing when they're probing your API. So these testing and monitoring tools have really emerged to help us automate that and how we test and figure that out. And these API blueprints or, or definitions help us kind of provide a, a machine-readable definition that these tools can use to know where the APIs are and then understand what that surface area looks like so that it can you know, test and monitor on a minute-by-minute, on a minute, hourly, daily basis, and then get pretty detailed in, in, in the types of tests that they run. And so having a, a kind of suite of these tests available and testing them on a regular basis, anytime you make a change, you'll rerun all the tests again, you know, as well as keeping them running on a schedule. So this type of automation is really key that when you're working on you know, as a developer, you're you're deploying, you know, not just one or two APIs anymore. You're, you're deploying 10, 20 and, and across teams, you could have hundreds of thousands of APIs. So having automated testing and monitoring is pretty critical to making this all work. Have you ever run into an instance where, you know, perhaps they don't have solid testing and, you know, a new version of that API comes out and it's been compromised, they have to take it offline or maybe go back to the previous? Have you ever run into that in your field? Oh, yeah. Run into it all the time. Monitoring and testing is easy as it is to do, sadly, is not as common and pervasive as it should be. And there's a lot of APIs out there that it, with simple monitoring and testing would have told us about uh, some of the flaws or ways in. Um, I think one of the most recent ones was the was it Experian, which was the credit rating system that got hacked. And there was another one that was the IRS. It was a, one they gave for students filing their financial student aid to get that fin- uh, IRS data for their parents. That was another API that got uh, put out there and then quickly turned off because it got compromised. As you can imagine, IRS data being pretty valuable, um, as well as people's credit data. So there's a lot of examples of APIs. I mean, I know many APIs that get launched in support of mobile applications that never get tested, and they're out there driving some pretty popular mobile apps. So it's a pretty low-hanging fruit when it comes to securing our APIs, and sadly, people just aren't doing as much as they should be. And can you mention uh, the names of some of these uh, testing tools that maybe, in, in your opinion, are, are key or, or some of the, the better ones out there? Yeah, I mean, I have a, I tend to track on all of these as part of my research. I have a page. You can go to monitoring.apievangelist to get the monitoring ones, uh, testing.apievangelist. But RunScope is a very popular one, API Fortress. These are two that are provided pretty robust sets of tools that you can, they're software as a service. So as I said, you can sign up for an account, upload your open API definition that describes your entire API, and then hit go. And these will start testing at your interface. Another one that's really easy to use is called Postman. So it really was a, an API HTTP client that you could just connect to any API and start making calls. But it's really progressed into a development tool and they have now a whole testing and monitoring suite that 
any API you're working with, you can just automatically turn on testing and monitoring. And, and they have a whole bunch of different ways that it can start testing and understanding it. But I would say RunScope, API Fortress, and Postman are, are three of the leading solutions available. So clearly, securing your APIs really should be a major focus for preventing you know, these vulnerabilities out there. But how can APIs also be used as a tool to secure other parts of your operations? Yeah, so just doing APIs themselves in a consistent way can really go a long ways to help with security because you know, APIs are about providing access to any digital asset or resource. It can be data, it can be content, it can be media, algorithms. And so by doing APIs consistently across all of the resources you're making available and then using those APIs for all websites, all mobile applications, and any other device or system-to-system integrations, this gives you one point of entry where all applications are putting your resources to use. And when you have API management layer in place, you're authenticating, you know who has access to what. API management comes with very comprehensive analytics and reporting and logging. So you know exactly what they're using, how they're using it, how much they're using. You can revoke keys. If someone's doing something they shouldn't, you can say no, shut it off, make that key invalid and that application is no longer allowed. And then as we just said, you can have testing and monitoring in place for the entire surface area of your company, your organization, institution, government agency, no matter what you're operating, you have this known surface area of everything. You know who's accessing it and you're able to test and monitor it pretty well. So just doing APIs really helps you get your house in order rather than having a hundred different ways you'll do database connections or, you know, this team connects directly to the database. This team goes through WordPress. This team goes through this other tool. And you can really standardize how you, you provide access to your resources. And just doing APIs is, is the biggest security thing you can do. Now, I'm going to bring another kind of a buzzword out here, basically the cloud, right? So organizations are pretty much moving their data to the cloud or hybrid cloud versus private. But what risks and precautions should developers be aware of as they run more APIs out in the cloud? So, I mean, the cloud itself is API driven. So Amazon, Google, all of these, you know, you can deploy your cloud, you can migrate it using APIs. And so that allows you to automate this migration. But yeah, you're putting yourself out in the open really a lot more when you're running in the cloud is people are actively scanning Amazon's infrastructure, looking for vulnerabilities and holes. But if you are consistent in how you use APIs across all your infrastructure and you're monitoring and scanning that as well, you know, you can stay ahead of them. You can stay two steps ahead if you're proactively doing it, paying paying attention to the results. But if you're just migrating to the cloud and you're not thinking about, you know, how you store things and segregate things on Amazon S3, how you're analyzing and, and, and managing the keys for that storage. And we've heard a lot of uh, reports lately of people moving to the cloud, Amazon S3 cloud specifically, putting things there, and then accidentally opening up a bucket to be entirely publicly accessible and everything in it and not really thinking about that segregation that we talked about before. So someone, you know, they'll be putting a bunch of stuff up there. Someone comes along and puts something that they feel should be public. 
and they right click and say make public without thinking of everything that else that's in that bucket. And now it's just on the web and people are actively scanning and looking for those holes. And if you're also actively scanning and looking for those holes, you will find it and see it. We see an employee make a mistake, people make mistakes, and you're able to recover from it pretty quick before someone else sees it or before it becomes a, a publicity nightmare as well as a security nightmare. So really, if you're using the cloud and migrating to the cloud, use those cloud APIs. Consider those APIs part of your API infrastructure as well as the APIs you're launching and, and providing and look at it all as a complete stack. Monitor it all work to secure it, whether you own it or not. And so that's a big part of API usage and providing APIs that people don't realize is they think providing APIs is just about their APIs, but you should also be monitoring and securing the APIs of the infrastructure that you use. So if you're depending on Facebook and your company has a Facebook profile, you should be securing your Facebook APIs. If you're using Amazon S3 or Amazon Compute, you should be making sure that those APIs are secure and you're using API keys properly, segmenting out your storage, how you how you allow things to be accessed by that API, make different applications, use different keys. Don't just use one Amazon S3 or EC2 key across all your applications. Start segmenting how you're, you're issuing those keys and authenticating. And when something does go wrong, you'll be able to recover from it a lot quicker. So machine learning is also making its way into this data management landscape. Um, how are machine learning and AI being applied to API security today? Yeah, so, you know, everything with APIs, the whole API stack is is being logged. So you tend to launch APIs on a, on a web server or on a gateway, and those use databases to get a lot of the content or they use the file system storage to get at it. Databases, file system, the web server, those all have logs, log files. So it records everything that occurs via that. When you add the API management layer, there's also a set of logs for the API management layer. And then every API has a DNS address, you know, a subdomain or domain for getting at it. DNS layer has has a logging as well. And all of these logs from all the entire stack, you know, from database to web server to storage to management to DNS, if you're shipping those logs and providing access to a variety of AI or or machine learning uh, services out there, they'll look for patterns across that for you. And they're doing this with hundreds, you know, hopefully it's a big company, so they're doing it with hundreds of thousands of their customers and their models are getting more sophisticated and looking for patterns and trends on how people are infiltrating system and what the latest, you know, hack patterns and tactics are. And they can alert you to what's going on, probably even before you see it in your regular logging or analysis. So these machine learning models are getting pretty sophisticated pretty quick because they have access to a lot of information. Some of the more savvy ML and AI providers are also accessing threat sharing providers. So if you go to, you know, Facebook has an API where they share all of their threat information from across the entire Facebook platform. And if you're one of these ML uh, AI providers, you're using this information to also train your models. And so 
you're as an API provider by using these, you're using models and applying models that have been trained on threats beyond your system. This means that you're defending yourself against threats that you haven't faced yet, which it really helps go a long ways in ensuring you're going to you know, keep things sealed up tight. Yeah, with all this machine learning, could this also apply to, now it sounded like it's, it's very applicable to, to threats and, and kind of predicting uh, the threats out there. Does this also apply to, let's say, human error? I know you previously mentioned, you know, S3 buckets kind of accidentally being made public and, and or, or maybe somebody, you know, used an API key where they should have used an OAuth uh, token. Uh, can, can this be also used in the human error element here? Yeah, so one good example of this is on GitHub. So if you issue any OAuth token that's from GitHub, because GitHub is meant you you store code and, and you put things on GitHub. If you accidentally put that key into any code and then in a GitHub repo that becomes public, GitHub will tell you within seconds or minutes of that happening. So what GitHub is doing is they're monitoring their entire system using artificial intelligence and models they've created and they're looking for tokens accidentally exposed by people and then letting that person know or letting that administrator in charge know that this token is there. And they take the extra step to revoke access to that token. That's probably one of the best examples of that in place. But there's there's plenty of examples like that where ML is being used to really identify and help augment humans in, in a good way and giving us some backup. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, that's awesome that, that GitHub does it. I think that, that's great because yeah, it's, a, it's a human mistake there. So you've been researching APIs for nearly a decade now, and I have really seen how they've developed and changed. Um, as we enter the new year, what trends do you anticipate for APIs? Well, one of the myths is, you know, that, that things are changing super fast. And, and honestly, after watching for so long, really the biggest trend I'm seeing this year is just everybody's doing APIs. So I spend very little time with startups and technology, you know, companies. I, I work with insurance companies. I work with education companies, uh, healthcare, financial accounting. And so really mainstream companies coming on board and realizing the potential of doing APIs. That's really is the biggest trend that I'm seeing out there. But if I was to you know, kind of you know, narrow that down to the tech sector and go, well, what is, you know, the biggest trend for APIs right now? I would say it's event-driven architecture. So really across your APIs and, and your stacks of technology is what are the most significant events that are happening? The simplest version of this is APIs tend to have what's called webhooks. So rather than asking an API when something changed, so say it's a news API, and I want to know when a new news article was, was published. Uh, with an API, I would just ask the API, hey, is there new, any new news? And, and then I would do that another second, you know, every second. Any new news? Anything new? Anything new? And that's really system intensive. And webhooks, you can subscribe to a webhook and say, I want to subscribe to it when any new news hits the system. Just let me know. And this, the API then pushes that news article to you. You give it a URL that says, when that new one comes through, just publish it to this address, and that lets me know. So that's a, an event-driven update, and that's what webhooks excel at. That's the simplest version of it. Now, that's all the way up to 
There's new technology out there called Kafka. So it's a real message driven. And so it's really about doing that, what I just talked about, but at scale, when you're talking about thousands or millions of things, events occurring across big data systems and how you need to know what information you should be streaming and subscribing to and understanding. And this is how you do APIs in large scale tech companies like LinkedIn and Facebook. And that was a Kafka was born out of LinkedIn and their kind of event driven architecture. And so subscribing to information changes, data content and other media changes and algorithmic changes based upon events, that's kind of the next horizon when it comes to API, the world of APIs. I'm going to take a step back a little bit too. So pretty much APIs, I know, you know, APIs are coming up, you know, last year, this year, it's becoming way more popular, but APIs have been around for quite a long time now. Why do you think it's just now that, you know, they're kind of being a little more mainstream and and, and gaining in popularity out there? Yeah, I mean, you're right. APIs have, have been around for 30, 40 years, you know, part of telecommunication systems. And then fast forward to the 90s, you started seeing web services, SOAP APIs, but really web APIs have kind of changed the formula because it uses lower cost web infrastructure, which is the bar is a lot lower for, you know, you can launch a web server with a database, you know, a MySQL Linux API on a web server for pretty cheap. And then the simplicity of web APIs over some of the earlier ones and even some of the current ones, you know, just and web APIs are just the evolution of the web. You know, so the web is about you go to a web address, you go to www.facebook.com or www.twitter.com and you get back an HTML page. When you go to api.twitter.com and you make the same request of of a page, Instead of HTML, you're just getting JSON or you're just getting XML back. And so rather than since the web has evolved to be more than just web pages, we needed a way to get the raw data rather than the whole look and the feel so that we could use that in other websites, widgets, mobile applications. And then now we're starting to see, you know, the Internet of Things, you're starting to see the same data showing up in signage and ticker symbols in the airport and and other types of device based in your car. You know, APIs all have cars and and APIs are used to deliver content and media to cars. I said signs with sensors. We're just starting to see them everywhere. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I guess uh, everything is connected these days. So, you know, with the smartphones, with mobile apps out there, definitely APIs and API security you know, becomes a huge uh, factor now. So much more important these days. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest concern right now is Everything's going APIs and they're everywhere, but that means the surface area is just getting getting bigger that we can attack as well. Thank you for joining us today, Kim. Um, you provided so much knowledge and information on the complex world of API security. To learn more about Kim, uh, visit apievangelist.com or follow him on Twitter at apievangelist. And stay up to date with Buzzword Bingo and Industry Trends by following us on Twitter at Rubric Inc. And thanks for listening.